From the Library of Maria Menounos, this is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Hey everybody, this is Book Circle Online. I'm your host, Jeffrey Masters, and joining me today is writer Thomas Page McBee. His new book is called Man Alive. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. I really enjoyed the book. Yeah, thank you. I um, I kind of fell into the trap of thinking it was just going to be like a transition story. Mm-hmm. And while it's like a small part of it, not the whole part. Sure. Whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, a big part of what I wanted to do was, was actually write something a lot more universal than the typical trans narrative. Yeah. Um, because in my experience, transitioning uh, wasn't so much about transitioning into being a man from being female, but it was about transitioning into adulthood from being um, a younger person. And oh, I saw a lot of universals in that story with a lot of people around me. Yeah. Well, and speaking of, like, growing up, I'm, like, kind of obsessed with the, uh, with, like, the, the idea and the importance of role models. Mm-hmm. Your narrative is, narrative is so, like, individual and personal. Did you have anybody you could, like, look up to and, like, relate to? I mean, I think, you know, again, it's not so much that I was looking up to people, but I was looking at people around me. You okay. know? Specifically, I was really connecting to stories of people having big life changes. So those were people like individuals, like, yeah. for example, a lot of pregnant women in my life. Um, I was really connecting to them. Uh, and I was also thinking a lot about the men in my life um, of all sort of gender backgrounds who are really trying to figure out how to be a good man in that Oh, yeah. Moment. Yeah. So, so to me, it wasn't so much about looking up to anyone, but it was about trying to figure things out together. Okay. Um, yeah. Why were you connecting to pregnant women? Because there was so much we had in common. I mean, making a huge life change that you don't really know oh. what you're going to sort of see on the other end of it. Like, you know it's something you're choosing to do, but oh, you don't yeah. know what will happen. Uh, and certainly, like, the hormonal changes, like, not quite knowing, you know, every day sort of how your body is going to react to what you're doing hormonally. Yeah. Um, there was just a lot I had in common with pregnant women in my life. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, I was very aware of reading the book that I take for granted. I look in the mirror, and I, like, vaguely know what I'm going to see in 10 years and, like, how I'm going to sound. Sure, yeah. And... Yeah, just you writing about, like, you were excited to see what you were going to look like when you looked like you. I was like, oh, it's yeah. something I don't think about. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I think now I look at myself and I'm like, you know, there's that sense of, like, clicking into place. And I yeah. feel very much like, you know, it, it's true that I look a lot like how I expected to look, which is kind of interesting. It oh, almost yeah. makes me wonder, like, do we all have a sense of ourselves that's, like, buried inside, you know, that can always... Um, arise in any time. Yeah. Uh, but then there's also the interesting thing of like being a surprise to yourself. Like, and I think a lot of men go through this where it's like, well, I, what will my facial hair look like? Like, I hope yeah. it's not spotty, you know? <laughs> like, that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. And then, so you, I know there's no like timeline or like path in a transition, but you, um, had like top surgery before you even decided to transition. Yeah. That's right. Oh, that's, that's like fairly uncommon, I guess. And, yeah, I mean, I think part of why I wanted to tell the story the way I wanted to tell it was that, you know, when I was when I was thinking about my gender and my masculinity yeah. um, and operating as myself in the world, I saw all these stories that existed about what being trans meant. And yeah. those stories had, you know, a pretty set narrative, you know. Um, and a lot of times those narratives were defined by, like, medical um, access. So it's kind of like, I was born in the wrong body, mm-hmm. I just need these hormones, if I get these hormones and I'll be in the right body, and then everything will be okay. And for me, my experience was much more like, you know, I felt some aspect of dissonance with some parts of my body. Yeah. I then tried to resolve that, and then that didn't quite resolve everything, and then I sort of had to, like, think a lot about what I was really going for and what it really meant for me to be a man, and, you know, it, it was a long process, and when I eventually decided that transitioning medically and hormonally was what would be best for me, yeah. um, I felt 
almost like, wow, I wish there had been other stories out there that showed that this could be as complicated or as simple as, as it is per person. Yeah. And you were saying that you wrote that you were like, weren't quite a man, but you're not quite a woman. Do you feel now like full, like, do you still feel that way? I guess I want to know. Um, I think there was a period in my life where I was trying to have a gender that was as nuanced as my understanding of myself. Sure. And I think that when I got to that place, I realized that my gender is really nuanced, and yeah. I'm a guy. Um, yeah. So, so in that sense, I think I'm a guy like any guy. Yeah. But I think I didn't realize that masculinity could be a nuanced thing. Okay. And I hope that didn't come off as rude. I just, in my, um, like, gender research, I'm so fascinated to see people like like Kate Bornstein. Sure. Who, um, I guess for her listeners at home, she transitioned to female and is like, you know what, I'm more at home in this body, but I'm both and neither. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's some people's gender identities. Yeah. It doesn't happen to be mine, but I think that, you know, a lot of why I connected um, and have connected to a lot of men who aren't trans and the sort of post-transition part of my experience yeah. has been that I've realized a lot of men don't really feel very comfortable with masculinity. Right. And I think that it's a very restrictive <laughs> gender. So, you know, for a long time, I really didn't see how I possibly could be a man and have it be a complicated thing. And I think oh. I've learned that the best way to be the kind of man I am is just to be the kind of man I am and sure. be as complicated as possible. Yeah, I love the question, what makes a man? And I was like, nobody knows that. No. Please. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was like, why are you asking? <laughs> that's that's um, right. But so the last chapter in the book was like September 2011. Mm-hmm. Was that when you decided to end the story or is that like you ended it and have been trying to get it published? <laughs> well, I think that <laughs> I realized at some point the story wasn't going to end, you know, and, yeah, of course. I, and I think, hopefully, right, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. And I think that, you know, I was really, what was interesting about writing this book was that the whole first section I sort of wrote after um, the, the two primary defining incidents in the beginning happened, which is a mugging and this abuse that happens to me right. growing up. And I really wanted those two things to echo each other and for people to get a real sense, a felt visceral sense of what that, those experiences were like. After that, I was writing in real time. So I'd go on this whole journey. Oh, wow. So a lot of the book, I mean, most, almost all of the book took place in real time. And then, of course, edits and whatnot. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, what, I, what was really important was to give people that sense that, like, life is a journey. It's not this neat and tied up situation. And um, as much as possible, I wanted any reader to really connect with that those, like, primary universal experiences. Oh, so totally. I think that... There's not really, I mean, the book ends with a transition, um, and the transition has just begun. And I think that that's the story that, for that reason, isn't about transitions or gender. It's about what happens when you realize that, you know, that you're on the brink of something huge, and how do you really make the choice to embody yourself and be yourself in in that pivotal life moment? And like Parker said, like, she's transitioning too. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, So it's been three years since, like, the book ended, I guess, Mm -hmm. 2011. Um, the essential question, like, what makes a man? Are you, do you think you're closer to figuring that out? <laughs> I think that, yeah, absolutely. I okay. mean, I'm writing a new book right now that oh, really? actually is a lot more about answering that question on a macro level. Okay. Um, where I go into these homosocial male spaces and report back Gonzo style, you know, about what it's like to be in a bathhouse, in a gay male bathhouse, and, you know, in what ways do I connect with men in that situation and what ways do I not? And um, so sort of being able to continue to be both an insider and an outsider sure. in, in male culture is something that's really interesting to me. And I think to me, what makes a man, what I've realized is that it's about, you know, being your own man. Like I think that okay. most of us are born with some sort of gender. Um, and the paradox of gender is that while we're born with a gender um, and I think probably mine was male, yeah. um, we're born with a gender, but we also really can choose how to embody that gender. And okay. I think that, that the, the, the connection between those two things is what makes us who we are. So 
I might have come out in the world as a guy, but what kind of guy I am is my choice. And okay. I think that's what's important about being And I think guys maybe have, like, more choices now than they did, like, five years ago. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And younger men specifically seem really um, tuned into that. I speak yeah. a lot of colleges, and it's been really interesting, you know, to – even men my own age, I'm 33 – uh, are, are starting to have these sorts of conversations and realizing that we have a gender at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that's the defining thing about privilege, right? Is that like, you don't see it. So if you're a guy, um, you might not even realize that being a guy is, is a gender. And I think younger men, um, specifically because of feminism on college campuses and that sort of thing, are much more attuned to, the, you know, the reality that the choices they make have an impact on other people and the totally. way they are a man in the world impacts other people. And I've talked to a lot of younger men who are very like, you know, how do I be a better guy? You know, how do I be a better ally to women. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Oh, that's really amazing. Yeah, it is really amazing. Wow. I mean, I mentioned Kate Bornstein, but it wasn't until I read Gender Outlaws that I was like, oh my God. Like, I never even heard of, like, the binary before. Right. Yeah. And then I like, but it's like, mine was blown. I was like, oh, I get to, like, choose. Right. And I'm like, luckily I'm happy with, like, what I was assigned. Right. But, like, I, it was just like a moment where I was like, wow, that's so many options. Did you feel like you were able to be more nuanced, though, in your sense of what being a man was when you started thinking that way? Um, yes, and I kind of felt like I could um, have more freedom to, like, do what I wanted. Exactly, yeah. I kind of felt like fashion nowadays is so, like, um, ambiguous or, yeah. like, both sexes, like, dress the same almost. Right, exactly. And skinny jeans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> like, I wear tighter pants than my sister. Right. Yeah. But I think that sense of being able to be liberated around gender is really crucial, and having a gender expression, you know, that can make room for yourself is part of what allows you then to, I mean, I think that's what combats homophobia and sexism and yeah. a bunch of things, because the more we have a defined idea about what a man is supposed to be like, you know, the more problematic everything is culturally for everyone else. Yeah. And it's yeah. just, it was so easy for me to relate to, I mean, anybody to relate to, because everybody has like a gender Mm -hmm. whether it fits in the binary or not like we all have genders versus reading about like racial things like stuff like i'm also passionate about but i can't maybe connect to as well sure right well, and it's uh, it's also not that different than race in a different way, obviously, because white people, most of us, don't realize that we, you our, know, that we have a race. I have a race. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then it's our, like Hollywood: you're white or other. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so, the more you have an awareness about what your what your place in the world is, the more you can make room for other people. I mean, I think a lot for me about being a man is realizing it's a responsibility. You know, I'm accountable to the people around me, and. I have more privilege and power than a lot of the people in my life. So how do I want to use it? As a man. You're saying. As a man, yeah. What – I know that with um, hormones, like, I think the physical changes are obvious. But mm. what about, like, mental and emotional? Yeah. Do you have, like, personality aspects? Well, so something really interesting I read about um, hormones is that, you know, we – and this is more about genetics and about, like, bot- the body physically. But sure. I've thought about this a lot metaphorically. Okay. Is that, you know, we all have the capacity to turn on – parts of our if, if you take estrogen you know different part, things will happen to your body than what you currently look like obviously yes. and the reason why is because those hormones are activating genes so you know for me for example my facial hair is a genetic you know how it looks is genetic so there's a gene that had that existed in me for and facial hair and it was hair. only activated with testosterone right oh, exactly interesting. which is interesting to think about because that means we all have another person sort of inside of us yeah. who could be activated at any time and I know that that's you know it's probably not exactly scientific the way I'm framing it but i love the metaphor that like you know obviously and this is true for all of us like things that happen to us experiences that shape us turn us into who we are yeah and i think that testosterone is a hormone obviously it affected the way my body looks yeah i can't separate you know is my mind any different or you know okay. is the way i'm operating in the world a function of when i walk out the door i look a certain way people treat me a certain way it's an yeah. echo you know it's yeah. like a loop 
Um, but I do think that, sure, like, being a man has really changed um, the way I am on some fundamental level in the same way any defining experience would change, okay. you know, who you are. Yeah. And I, it's hard for me to pull apart in what ways, you know? Um, yeah. I guess, that, and too, I read an article about um, a trans woman had, who had to, like, unlearn the male gaze. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's just like just like energy, right? You know, yeah, sure. And I mean, that's a lot about how we're socialized, which of course, like, also is part of it. You know, like, yeah. And, and I think one thing I have noticed, and I do try to make a point to talk about, is that you know the way that I am I am given more um, privilege just every single day operating in the world. You know, like yeah. people pay more attention to what I have to say because I'm a man. If I'm going to talk in a meeting people will listen to me more than they did before. Uh, that's real. So, I mean, I think I can confirm that yeah. sexism exists and I am experiencing the benefits of, of, of having a male body. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the concept of passing, is that mm-hmm. like a, have a negative connotation? Just like the, like the trying to be something versus like... Yeah, you know, I think passing is very complicated. Yes. Right? Because I think we all pass. Yeah. Like, oh, think, yeah. Right? And there are ways... One thing I think is interesting about gender is I used to think, because my gender before was so ambiguous, I used to think that people were men or were women or were something else, and that if you were a man or a woman, you just sort of operate in this very comfortable way in the world. And I think the more um, I pass, quote-unquote, sure. um, the more I realize that everybody is passing all the time, you know, and it's just to varying degrees. Yeah. And I find that kind of soothing, actually, you know. It's almost like there's ways that we can choose to operate um, when we have control over it, we can choose to operate, you know, in, in around our passing in ways that can do good in the world, for example, yeah. um, or where we can like let sort of we can operate as like um, if I go into a barbershop and we're talking about whatever and then I like inject something into the conversation that's kind of like a nuanced thing, you know, yeah. might do something really cool like to that conversation. So I gotcha. Yeah. Um, so how does how do members of the trans community continue to pass um, and still like give like a trans like visibility and like give a voice to that and not hide. Yeah. You know, I think it's different for everybody. I think some people who are trans would rather not be out about being trans and that's a totally really? valid choice. Yeah. Um, there for various reasons, because that's just maybe being trans doesn't feel like their identity. Maybe they just feel like I was born in the wrong body and now I'm in the right body and end of story. And oh, that's for some people, their experience. Um, some people are in dangerous situations where they don't want to be out. Of course. I think for me personally, being trans does seem like part of my gender identity, you know? I think it's important to me that I had a different experience before this one, um, and integrating the, that experience is really crucial. I wouldn't choose to be born another way, you know? So being yeah. out about that is really important, but also for safety reasons, and just because I don't always want to be talking about this experience, <laughs> so I don't necessarily make a point of it everywhere. <laughs> we'll wrap yeah. up. <laughs> no, but no, you know, I, I mean, know mean. Th- so that's where passing, quote-unquote, can be a useful thing, you know? Yeah. But I do think what's so important about passing is to realize that, like everything in the trans experience, there's not one aspect of being trans that doesn't exist in every other part of life. Mm-hmm. And that was really important to me about writing this book. I wanted people to see that this is a very universal experience, like transitioning from anything to anything is normal. It's like body issues. <laughs> body, yes, yeah. body issues. Feeling a dissonance with your physical self. And certainly passing in the world, I mean, I think we're all passing most of the time. And it's just what we choose to do with that passing. Yeah. It's meaningful. When it was less innate, this, like, performance of, like, masculinity, were you trying to pass at home alone, too, as well? Uh, no, because I think I was just being, I was being myself. I was always a very masculine person. Oh, right. Um, what I think was maybe, the thing that made me realize I was trans was, was that there was a point where I felt very physically uncomfortable, and I realized, like, 
oh, the way people see me and the way I see myself, there is a dissonance. Like, I, I don't, I couldn't really name it. It was very, um, something I had a hard time verbalizing. But once I sort of realized, like, I feel very frustrated that the way I'm being perceived in the world just doesn't feel like how I see myself. Okay. But it wasn't some simple, like, oh, I'm a man and then, you know, nobody sees it. I'm really frustrated. Like, where's my testosterone? Right. Like, it was more just that I was getting increasingly uncomfortable and I eventually named that that's what was, what it was. But I was always masculine, you know? Um, and I experienced, I was able to pass very actively sometimes, you know, if I was in an unsafe situation before I transitioned and I just wanted to, like, go into this rest stop or whatever in Wyoming and not feel worried about it, like, I would just put on my baseball hat and, like, you know, walk a certain way and not talk and I'd be all right. So, I mean, I think that I had a very queer experience of gender before I transitioned. Oh, yeah, that's funky. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, I was thinking about what you were saying. Um, Regarding transitioning and, um, it, what resources are there for people who don't have like the funds um whether it be hormones or like surgeries or just everything yeah i mean i think um so hormones are something that they're not that expensive and it's probably you know there's a lot of like local community you know groups and that sort of thing that will help yeah. you get them if okay. that's something that's important to you there's also actually like a scholarship fund for top surgery oh really um that i forget the name of but i'm sure you could google and find out but a lot of people don't want hormones or surgery or maybe for whatever reason they you know, can't afford them and don't want to yeah. seek out resources or whatever. And there's, you know, plenty of communities online around, oh, like, really? if you're interested in not being on hormones and, you know, want to connect with other people in that yeah. situation. You know? Oh, I guess I was thinking more if, even just, like, like more, like, like losing the f- feminine features of, like, a face. But right. But some people are... F- it's every case is different. Everybody's different, and yeah. I think that you know. Again, like I mean, what would we do without the internet? Like I'm sure you can find pretty much anybody who can connect you to resources that are meaningful to you, right? You know? And and there's huge trans communities online, you know, for people who are wanting to connect to people who can help them out. Totally. Yeah. Gotcha. I thought your relationship with Parker and the story was so interesting and mm-hmm. just like so honest, mm-hmm. like asking these hard questions. Um, it was not. It, you're the authority on it, but it kind of made me uncomfortable when she finally voiced the wonder was like the abuse from your father, like a correlating with like you being trans. Mm. Do you think that that had a major effect? Like, I feel like that does it sum it up too easy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think like uh, in the book, you know, her saying that is me, you know, she's voicing my anxiety yeah. too. Um, and I think my anxiety there was a, like, you know, obviously that like somehow not just not so much that it was a corollary between being abused and being trans but that my connections to masculinity had so much to do with this very toxic example of masculinity and in a lot of ways I actually think it's almost the opposite like I held off on transitioning and my relationship with being male was very poisoned by having such a negative role model of a man Um, so I think you know hopefully like what comes across eventually is the idea that like I was coming up against these very negative ideas of masculinity and those really weren't making a lot of room for me to like see any way that I could be a man, you know? Um, I don't think people are trans because they're abused, just like people aren't gay because they're abused. That's right. Something. But I do think that when you have a really negative experience of the gender you are, you probably really feel like you don't really want to have a lot to do with that gender and yeah. learning to heal that is, is, a, is a whole journey. Wow. How long did it take to heal from like the PTSD of the mugging? Well, what's interesting about that is actually a big part of what what drove this book was that I'd had, I mean, I actually had had PTSD from being abused growing up. 
And this horrible mugging that I experienced in the book that goes on for a really long time and is very traumatic. Um, and I don't want to give too much of it away, but like there turns out to be a lot of really dark stuff around the guy who mugs me. Um, what was so interesting about that was that, and I, part of why I wrote the book was that the experience of escaping from that actually felt very healing in a very visceral, physical way, and I became very embodied very quickly. So in a lot of ways, I actually didn't, I don't think I had PTSD from this mugging. I think that my body knew how to react to heal myself as I was experiencing oh. it. Um, and I did some research into this, and it turns out, like, for example, prey animals, deer. Yeah. Deer don't get PTSD when they escape, like a lion, you know, or whatever, or like a mountain lion. Are you, is it, are you saying more of like an like an adrenaline rush for like a more base? Right. Or? So what it turns out is that like the reason why that happens is because if a if a if a deer specifically um, escapes and runs away, uh, the way their hormones work is that they first of all they have the adrenaline to run, um, and then the experience of being back into the herd, like when they run into the herd and they get sort of folded back in, they have this like other rush of other hormones that actually are like very healing wow. so if everything like works out for them and they they get away and they return to the herd they actually just self-heal they don't have ptsd they don't like suffer trauma like from being in that situation so in that sense i think something very similar happened to me i think i got away and i got to follow my body's instincts very exactly and because of that i you know it was a very upsetting experience but i wasn't traumatized by it wow was parker traumatized from it or did she experience the same thing uh, I think, yeah, she had a different reaction, okay. for sure. Yeah. Wow. I've never heard of that with, like, the deers. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. And I, well, that's what made me write the book, really, because I ran away and I thought, well, why did this not feel as troubling as it could have felt? Um, you know, and I th that's when I started doing some research. And really, the book is about becoming embodied. And I think escaping this mugging was probably the most embodied experience I'd had up until that point. Yeah. And getting back in my body made me realize something's off with my body. It's not the way I need it to be. And I guess, like, the opposite end of it is, like, you escaped and, like, or you couldn't have. Right. And, like, you wouldn't be here. Exactly. Uh, you a couple times mentioned being, uh, not being the wrong body, but being, like, two people in your body, like, mm -hmm. twins. Mm -hmm. Did, does that, does your life, like, pre-transition feel like it, like, happened to a different person? Or is that? So much of what I wanted to do as a person transitioning at 30 yeah. was find a way for that not to be the case, you know? And um, have you? Is that I, not? I think so. Good. Okay. I mean, I think... All of us, you know, again, to sort of go back to this universal point, like, I think we all have had things that are very defining. You know, I think we can all define our lives by, like, yeah. maybe a relationship that ends or um, a parent dying or a move or whatever. Like, there are these big life events that happen. Yeah. And I think it's all, sort of always the work of, of being in that new place to really make a decision. Either you, you cleave off the past, and some people, that's what works for them, or you decide, I'm going to integrate you know, the person I was into the person I am now. And I think that, you know, sometimes it's really hard to do that, but for yeah. me, it's been very rewarding to make that effort. So no, I do feel like I'm the same person. Um, okay. Up, I mean, up to my name, you know, I kept my name as my middle name. Right. It's really important to me to do that. And I thought it was interesting too. you picked Thomas twins. Yeah, right. Exactly. Which, you know, I mean, picking your name as a, as a adult is a kind of strange experience. <laughs> I think it is very powerful. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's powerful, but it was curious to me. I mean, I, I kind of, it's that I guess for me I learned a lot about myself in that process because you can kind of go about it a lot of ways. And what I wanted to do ultimately was find a connection to my family, you know, which I – so I named myself after my uncle. Sure. Um, and then I wanted the name to have a lot of meaning. So – and I also wanted it to feel right. So that name sort of – I hit on it. It felt right. There was a connection to my family. And then it meant twin. And I was like, well, I mean, come on. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like too the idea of like twins it goes back to like passing. Mm-hmm. Like it's like the the other one of you is like passing. Right. You know, like you push that one forward. Right. Exactly. And again, like I think we're all passing to some degree. I mean, as much as I try to be a three dimensional person in the world, there's no way I ever am. And I think I'm a different person to different people. And I think every day, you know, I walk down the street and I'm different than you know I am when I'm privately in my own house. Yeah. And, and I don't think that's abnormal than anybody. No, no, of course not. And I think maybe you know getting right with the idea of passing is a big part about I think becoming an adult no matter who you are yeah I mean yeah I mean I feel like I like doing interviews and I go home and I'm like can nobody talk to me please yeah exactly <laughs> right I'm sure yeah, yeah. how's your day it was fine thank yeah. you Bye. <laughs> have a nice day right <laughs> exactly um tell me if I'm getting too personal but um I keep I keep reading about like a stigma against men dating trans women mm-hmm. is there a stigma against women who date trans men um, I think that, uh, I mean, no, I, I don't think so. I think okay. that there, there's sort of a different thing going on for trans men. A lot of trans men date women who are queer identified. I think there's more room in queer communities, um, for trans men because a lot of times trans men identified as queer and were part of those communities yeah. and then transitioned. And so we all still are connected to the same people. And, okay. um, so there seems to have been a lot more room around that and a lot more space made in like, you know previously lesbian communities for trans guys um but i also know a lot of trans men who date women who've never been identified as queer and there's not been a lot of issue there so i haven't had a lot of trouble although i will say it was definitely a huge fear but you know things worked out of course (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i to be stereotypical i wonder if it's that like the female gender is like generally like more accepting perhaps Yeah, well, I think that it goes back to actually the problems with masculinity, you know? Like, I think when we have a really intense idea about, you know, what being a man means, um, like, I think men are self-policing on ourselves, whereas I think women have a lot much of a broader understanding of what gender, you know, can be, and I think a lot of, at least the people I know, they're attracted to masculinity, and they're attracted to certainly bodies and whatnot, but I think it's like gender can be a more nuanced thing for women because being a woman there's room to have a more nuanced gender you know um i think men are really constricted in our gender and it hurts us in a lot of different ways and this might just be one of them oh wow so going back to your um new book and the um the exploring like masculine places like the bathhouse mm-hmm. how it is like uh, self-policing and like masculinity like working in there well so that's part of why I went right I mean, I'm not <laughs> I'm not gay but I was interested in like you know my anatomy is a little bit different so what would it be like if I went into this bathhouse situation I mean even though I'm clothed like yeah. will it be a thing um, and uh, you know what was so interesting was I always go with an open mind into these situations and sort of see how it works and this was a very traditional New York bathhouse okay um, and what was cool was that it was actually so many different kinds of men. I mean, it was male-only hours, so there was definitely gay men who were cruising. And then there was, like, Russian Orthodox guys, because it was a Russian bathhouse, who were just oh, there man. hanging out. Um, and and sometimes there was a crossover between, like, the sort of Russian Orthodox, like, Hasidic guys yeah. uh, and the cruisy gay guys, which I thought that was a pretty interesting situation. Um, but also, you know, at the time I went, I was having a very difficult time. My mom was very sick, and I also just sort of wanted to be in an environment where I could just be quiet and have my feelings. And, uh, it ended up being just that it was a very healing experience. So like any situation I've been in with guys, like I think, you know, I go in sort of thinking like, well, is this going to be an issue or what's going to happen? And the very thing I expect to be the thing that defines the experience, like maybe I'll get cruised and some guy will realize that I'm trans and it'll be a problem. None of that happens. Like I just was a dude who didn't seem interested in, you know, being cruised people right. just sort of like let me do my thing and then you know i got to be in the space with 
dudes where I felt really like safe and had a really like nice time. That's so interesting. Yeah. Wow. What other like places are you going to? So I've already like done. Um, I've gone to this boxing gym, um, which was that was really interesting. One I wrote about. So but I guess I should say this. Like I'm writing a column about all this. The uh, Pacific for, Standard. Yeah, for cool. the Pacific Standard called the American Man. Um, so. I did a story about uh, going to this boxing gym and sort of the class differences of, like, people taking this boxing class versus, oh. like, all these, like, hardcore guys who are there training. Sure. And, you know, for amateur fights and, you know, putting their bodies on the line for a very small amount of money and the sort of dynamic there, which was really interesting. Um, and right now I'm working on one about male grief and, you know, how men uh, treat treated me and treat each other in times of, like, you know, real grief around death. Uh, and that's been really interesting to think about. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But so, I'm, I mean, and I want to, like, go to the see, like, the Masons, like, and do something around that. I also have a friend who he's a, a fraternity brother whose fraternity has had, like, a, a campus rape situation happen. And so he's going to go back and, like, talk to the younger brothers about, you know, they're all working to, like, figure out how they can be better in the face of that. Yeah. That's going to be a really interesting thing to, to sort of embed in. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. So that's a new book. What else is coming up for you? Uh, so that's almost all of what I'm working that's on. That's right your entire now. life. <laughs> yeah, my entire life. Is, How dare I ask? <laughs> I'm also doing the um, the Rumpus column still, Self Made oh, Man, uh, and I'm writing some stories around some of these topics for Playboy and a few other places. Oh, very cool. Yeah, cool. Um, so where can everybody find you who can uh, want to look up more information? Yeah, I guess so, the Rumpus. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, you can go to my website, which is thomaspagemcbee.com, right. uh, and find all my stuff. Uh, and if you want to look up Man Alive, you know they sell it on City Lights and Amazon. And right. All those I'm staring at the like heart on your arm, same as the website. <laughs> yes, indeed. Right, exactly. Heart on my sleeve. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks so much this for so much fun. having me. Yeah, I of really course. appreciate it. Yeah. All right, everybody, we will see you next week. Until then, you can find all of our content on bookcircleonline.com, YouTube, and iTunes. Goodbye. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro, we would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.